I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. begun with some big news out of the SEC and about the Combine. We'll cover it all on this episode of Prospects 101, the show where we break down football prospects from all levels, high school, college transfers, college recruiting, NFL prospects, and the NFL draft. As always, we are brought to you by our great partners and supporters of the show, Blue Wire Pods, and our online bookie of choice, Bet online as always join with my boy kenny keller what's up man what's up dude how you doing man i'm good i'm good the uh the the off season has gotten started off with a bang i thought we'd have like uh like a week or two of kind of you know calm down senior bowl you know signing day or whatever but i tell you what we'll, we'll jump right into it and the biggest news this week Jeremy Pruitt fired at Tennessee, also to be note, fired with cause, which means he doesn't get paid out a uh, a, a, a buyout of sort because of uh, internal, I guess, internal uh, flags of recruiting violations. And man, I, I tell you what, Kenny, Tennessee is a freaking mess. Dude, are they going to get hit with the death penalty? Because I'm hearing that they have dozens of level one recruiting violations like but for anybody who doesn't know what level one recruiting violations are those are like the most serious recruiting violations you can have and generally when you think about usc who pretty much got you know hammered a couple years ago about a decade ago with their recruiting violations i think that was only like what four or five level ones at, at four or five at the most by the way i've always thought that was extremely exaggerated usc was made an example of, but yes, I, I agree. I see where you're going with this. I mean, Tennessee's going to get hammered, I would think, if they've got dozens. Yeah, I I don't see them doing the death penalty, but man, I, you're going to see big time um, scholarship productions is going to be a big one. But, but here here's my question: so <clears throat> this was an internal investigation and an internal. I raised my hand, yeah. so. How much does that play into how the NCAA deals with this? Because he, here's the thing. If Tennessee said, hey, man, we've got some problems going on over here, like basically giving a good faith, I think that they get the benefit of the doubt for that. And I'll tell you why. Because if they come down harder, then I don't think that there's an incentive for any university to absolutely go in and self-report for sure. themselves, right? For sure. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to give um, some credit where credit's due. Like, if they uncovered 
you know, if, if an independent Tennessee investigation uncovered mass recruiting violations and corruption inside the program, and they kind of ridded the program, because it sounds like I think they fired like 10 or 11 coaches plus Pruitt. Um, you know, I'm sure the NCA is going to give them some favorability for that. But at the same time, I got to imagine they're still going to get hit with a lot of scholarship and yeah. postseason bans. I mean, you, I just I don't think it's a desirable job for the next probably three or four years. How much do you think that Prue was involved? So I keep hearing that a lot of this is pretty much news to him. Not maybe not maybe not some of it. I, I, as a head coach, I'm sure he probably heard whispers or saw things that maybe he turned a blind eye to or just maybe didn't want to think that he saw what he actually saw. I refuse to believe he had zero knowledge of it, but it sounds like he was pretty much caught off guard at the scope of everything. Like apparently that's a, that was a big shock to him. And apparently Niedermeyer was the ringleader is, is what is being rumored. I want to make sure that that's put out there. This isn't facts. This is what's being rumored around chat boards, which tend to be right and tend to be wrong. Um, but apparently Niedermeyer was, is the big guy involved in a lot of this. Wow. Well, it, it's Not certainly good. unfortunate. It, it's unfortunate for Pruitt if he didn't know about it. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with you, right? And and when you're in one of these jobs and you're the head guy, it, it stops with you. And this, this almost gives credence to what they were saying about Pruitt, right? He's in over his head. He doesn't know how to run a program, right? Getting sloppy. This, this is what happens when you're in over your head. You just lose yeah. track of everything, right? Yeah. So, um. Tennessee has had its struggles, man. They've had their struggles since the early 2000s. Uh, they have yet to get a stranglehold of that SEC East again. They've been surpassed by Florida, Georgia. Some would argue that Kentucky is catching up quickly. Um, it's just, man, that t- Tennessee not a, not a, just keeps – it is not a good job at this point. No, not a, not a good time to be a Tennessee fan. And I don't want to harp on it because obviously we could beat a dead horse all day. But just real quick, Gilles. Who should they hire, one? And two, like, are they even going to be able to hire anybody? Like, I think at this point, you either just ride Kevin Steele out until, like, sanctions and stuff, or you have to go out and hire somebody like like Baylor did with Jim Grobe, or somebody who's got a really squeaky clean, clean image and is basically you're just not going to fire him as they go 2-10 and ten yeah. for the next four or five years. My, uh, my, my guess would be I, I think you um, – Keep Kevin Steele on. You take the interim label off. He's respected. He knows how to recruit. He can give you somewhat of a chance to be competitive, right? Knows the SEC. He's a good defensive guy. I I think what you don't do is go out and hire a hot G5 coach or a guy you think that is a – you know, do you bring in a Tom Herman or a Gus Malzahn? Maybe. You know, maybe Malzahn makes a little bit of sense if he would want that job. But I got to be honest with you, Kenny. I don't think any of these. I'm going through all these lists. I'm seeing Bill Clark at UAB, Jamie Caldwell, Dave Doran, Tony Elliott, Hugh Frick, Luke Frickle. Yeah, that, that's not. Why happening. Would you, well, why Freeze, would you want, that's not happening. Tom Hart. Like that, none of them would go there. there there's no reason you? to do that if you have all these sanctions. You got to yeah. find someone desperate. Yeah, you got to find someone desperate or pull somebody out of retirement and basically who's cool with just like like you got to find somebody who pull out of retirement who basically is like, "Hey, I'd love to be the guy who kind of rehabs this program and really leads them out of the darkness." Like that's like who's going to talk that kind of verb. You can't get like a Billy Napier 
or a Will Healy or someone like that who's just up and coming? Because why would you t- – unless unless they – if I was – the only way if I'm Will Healy, Billy Napier, or a guy like in that position who if they come to me, I'm going to say I want a 10-year deal that is guaranteed all 10 years. Like I want I want a Jimbo Fisher deal. Anything short of that, I'm not coming because yeah. the first five years are going to be a wash. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. that. That's why I think Kevin Steele is the most likely candidate. They'll, they'll just make sure that he's promoted up. And, you know, they'll give him resources. They'll do what he can. But it certainly does not look good in Rocky Top. Um, some more news coming out of the SEC. Alabama just continues to play chess while everyone else is playing checkers. Bill O'Brien hired to take over for Steve Sarkeesian as the offensive coordinator. Doug Marone, recent, recently fired Jacksonville Jaguar coach, has now brought in to coach the offensive line. Kenny, before you get reaction, this is what I think is brilliant about it, and I was thinking about it a little bit. I bet you Nick Saban is just sick and tired of assistants leaving and getting jobs. Because here's the thing. If you're an Alabama assistant, you can basically go be a head coach anywhere you want, right? Mm -hmm. Like even like Charlie Huff got a job to be like Marshall's head coach, right? Like, come on. So I think Saban is sick of doing that. I, so I think he wants to bring in old old pros, right, guys that have been fired because what's genius about it, these guys are NFL, former NFL head coaches. You want these guys in living rooms. You want to say, hey, I can get you to the NFL because I know, I know what it takes. Yep. Um, so it's just, it's just genius on all, th- all sides for Saban. Well, look, and, I mean, look, and at the end of the day, look at their staff. Before the staff broke up this year, Listen to the staff and how many ex-head coaches were on it uh, on their title team. You had Sark, the OC, who's had extensive head coaching experience. You've had Kyle Flood, who was the O-line coach, who's now Sark's OC in Texas. He was he was pretty much the last good head coach at Rutgers because he took over after Shiano led them to a couple eight-win seasons. But he's an ex-former head coach. You've got um, Major Applewhite, who's an, an analyst. You've got Butch Jones, who was an analyst. You've got Mike Stoops and Charlie Strong, who were analysts. You've got five or six head coaches on staff that were at major P5 programs. Like, I know they, that they are on the staff because it didn't work out at their programs, but having six or seven head coaches to bounce ideas off of, to run things when you're not looking, is a big deal. Like, oh, that's, a very, that's a very experienced staff who got P5 jobs because they did well coaching up until they got to their P5 job, you know? So, I mean, this is just, you know, everybody kind of chuckled and said, oh, Doug Marone and Bill O'Brien, they were terrible in the NFL. Okay, yeah, they weren't great head coaches, but Doug Marone is known as as an amazing offensive line coach. And as a Jacksonville Jaguar fan, I can tell you that was one of the things that wasn't an issue for us this year was offensive line. And then Bill O'Brien, yeah, he was kind of laughable at the Texans, but he's a great offensive mind. He's a great head coach. I mean, it's just – you know, the strong, get, staying stronger. Like, they reload their roster every year, yeah. and they reload their coaching staff every year. Yeah, I'd, I'll just say this before we move on to the last piece of top news. Um, I remember coaching, you know, when I was coaching at South Lakes and, and you know, a little bit of uh, revisionist history, I guess you could say. But we played against a school that won four state four straight state championships in a row, played them in the playoffs, lost all four years. Um, they had six former head coaches on staff. 
And when you when you can get in a room, and here's the thing: when you're a former head coach, you generally don't have the ego of a an anxious assistant, right? Like you understand what Nick Saban has to deal with. You understand the the, the administration. You understand the parents. You understand all this stuff that you don't even want to deal with anymore. So yep. you just go in and do your job. You this is the fun part. You get to sit in a room and talk football. You don't have to deal with the the administrative side of coaching. So to me, it's brilliant. Um, this is why Alabama is still going to be an incredibly – they're still going to be awesome. They're going to develop all, talent better than ever. Yeah, um, yeah no, I mean, they're, they're, they're on their own at this point. I mean, they really are. It's Alabama and, and everyone else. And I think I would, I would say that at this point. I used to think that they were really top three programs. I think Bama is even starting to separate themselves – from a Clemson or Ohio State at this I agree. point. So. I agree. So, uh, last point in top news, no NFL combine or individual workouts at the NFL combine. So that means pr- uh, pro days only for a lot of the uh, – uh, I'm sorry, for everybody getting ready for the 2020 NFL draft. So I think that's interesting because you only get one shot. And so for these guys that didn't play – and that haven't played in about a year and a half, I mean, that, that pro day is going to be the biggest day of your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you have what we call combine warriors, you know, who guys who excel during the four or five days are at the combine in Indianapolis. And I think this will hurt them a little bit. And this will definitely hurt the guys who opted out, who didn't get filmed this year. And now they basically are going to have one day. Now, I Maybe the pro days change. Maybe the pro days, they kind of, these schools kind of get together and, and they make it more like a combine where maybe they make it a two or three day event. I don't know. So I'm, I don't want to speak out of turn. But if it's like a normal pro day, generally that's one day. You're going to have one day to go through this stuff. Now, obviously, they're going to do interviews and all the stuff they would normally do under at the combine virtual through Zoom and stuff like that. So that is what it is. That's still pretty much going to be the same. They're just not going to be face-to-face. But the workouts themselves are going to be condensed. sounds like they're going to be one day only. That means you you cannot have – there's no margin of error. There's very little margin of error. Like if you're, say, Rondell Moore, who I think is still going to be a first-round pick regardless, but just use him as an example, he's a guy who's got to hope that they're either indoors – or that they have a very sunny and dry day so he can go out there and run, you know, a 4-2-9-40. You know, they can go out there and be in a controlled environment and hope that they don't get out there and there's like a big headwind or torrential downpour or something like that if they're not doing it indoors because some of these programs don't have indoor facilities. So it's going to be there's going to it's going to be very interesting to follow, Gless. Yeah, I think it's going to make things very very dicey and it's going to be I think it's going to make NFL general managers in their war rooms, very interesting with these guys. And so, you know, this goes back and, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to explain my position, but I, I always, I really never, I never liked the opt out other than for maybe a guy or two, right? Guys that are generational talents. I, I could, I could see where they're coming from, but I, I think when there was a lot of guys that did it, that just rubbed me the wrong way as far as not getting film on. You go to college to play football, right? And yep. and by opting out, all right, look, that that's the risk. And the risk is exactly what you see now. Yeah, you don't have a combine. You got one pro day, and at that pro day, anything can happen, right? What if after the second play you pull your hammy, 
right? Or after right. the first throw, you jam your finger and you start dropping balls left and right. Man, I tell you, there, I tell you, I, if I was a guy that opted out, I wouldn't feel good about this. This would make me very, very nervous um, because if you do not perform well, I mean, you, you're literally losing money by the day. So very yeah. interesting to see how that happens with no NFL Combine. But, again, it's also going to make NFL general managers' jobs extremely difficult because they may like those guys, um, you know, but, again, film from a year and a half ago, and then they go on their pro day and it's an average position, what do you do? What do you do? So um, it's going to be very interesting. I'm very intrigued how these pro days are going to go, Kenny. It's it's going to be interesting to watch, man. It's definitely – and I wonder if this will change things for the future. Like, I wonder if this if this is like a home run – it might stay – I don't know. I guess not. Maybe not. You know what? The NFL Combine is extremely highly watched. I'm sure they'll probably be back. So never mind. That's a, that's a bad That's a bad example. All good. Well, Kenny, that's our top news for the week. Now, the next big event when it comes to the NFL draft, Kenny, coming up is the Senior Bowl. So these are the top seniors around the country in Division One. Sometimes Division Two occasionally get some of those guys in. Got to be, uh, it got to be invited. Uh, you're coached by NFL staffs, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the Miami Dolphins are coaching one mm-hmm. side. And do you know the other side? Um, yes, the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers. So Matt Rule uh, and his staff will be coaching. Um, but that's really the next big item on our list when it comes to the NFL draft. So Kenny, why don't you kind of give us a quick preview uh, of some guys to look out for? Um, and the bigger names that will be per- participating in the Senior Bowl. Yeah, and you know what? This is a perfect transition because speaking of our previous top news, no NFL Combine, this is now a big deal. It's a like huge the, deal. The Senior Bowl is always kind of a big deal because you get NFL coaching. It's a chance to show off for an NFL staff. And usually the NFL show teams off the pads. Pads right. is the big one, right? Yep, big, yep, yep. Yep, and then like individual – because there's a ton of individual work. Like, there's going to be – work. they're doing workouts. So, like, it's going to be business as usual. Obviously, the fans and the media are going to be tamped down a little bit and, and kept in solidarity from the players. But, like, this is pretty much going to be the same thing as business as usual for the Senior Bowl. So this is a big opportunity for these seniors to potentially jump a lot of underclassmen and get and get film, additional film and workouts in front of these coaches. But, yeah, a couple names that – I saw on here that really uh, have me excited. Marquez Stevenson, wide receiver from Houston, and Kadarius Toney, wide receiver from Florida, are some guys that are fringe, potentially first-round picks or high second-round picks. They're going to have an opportunity to show out against good competition because if you go to the other side of the ball, you've got guys like Elijah Molden, Richie Grant on the de- on the defensive backside, James Wiggins from Cincinnati. Uh, you know, th- these are bigger names and that they're going to be able to go up against one-on-one. Now, obviously, Richie Grant's a safety, so it might not be one-on-one, but you get the drift. Like, they're going to be going up against some good guys in the secondary. Uh, some guys in the defensive line that have me excited, Boogie Basham from Wake Forest, obviously, uh, has me excited. Taron Jackson from Coastal Carolina. Um, Marvin Wilson, defensive tackle from Florida, Florida State, State, I think is really exciting. Obviously, you have Quincy Roche, Patrick Jones from Pittsburgh – or, sorry, Quincy Roche from Miami – Patrick Jones and Rashad Weaver from Pittsburgh. Those are some pretty big names. There's a lot of names in here, Gless, that are, you know, I don't want to say fringe first rounders, but that are guys who are, you know, 
are, are fighting for second-day picks, are fighting to maybe jump into the first round. But they're going to be able to go up. The defensive linemen are going to be able to get, go up against guys like Alex Leatherwood, from uh, offensive lineman from Alabama, Creed Humphrey, offensive lineman from Oklahoma. Those guys are first-round picks. Liam Eichenberg, offensive lineman from Notre Dame. So these guys are going to get to go up against other first round picks now and potential first round picks. Uh, this is a huge deal. I think this is probably one of the biggest senior bowls I've seen in a while. Quarterback wise, there's nothing that really stands out to me. Um, you know, Kyle Trask is in the game, which is a big deal. The really the only quarterback that I'm going to keep my Mac Jones, obviously, I think Mac Jones and, and Kyle Trask aren't really going to do much to help or hurt their status. I think they're kind of going to play out where they are. I think Trask is going to end up being a second round pick. Matt Jones is probably going to be an end of the first round kind of guy. Um, but the, but the biggest quarterback who can make a name for himself is Jamie Newman, Gless. And we've talked about this on other pods. Yeah. He's a guy who was really hurt by opting out this year. And a lot of other quarterbacks have jumped him. If he goes out and puts on a heck of a senior bowl performance and has a heck of a pro day, that's going to go a long way to bumping up his draft stock, which, and we, like we said, we've talked about this is probably around, you know, anywhere from the third to the sixth round at this point, depending on who you ask. So this is a big, big deal for him. I honestly think he's probably the guy who has the most to gain and the most to lose during the senior bowl week. And just one other guy I'm really excited about, and he's just a personal favorite of mine because I've talked about him a couple of times in, on the podcast, Hunter Long, tight end from Boston College. Big fan of this kid, excited to see what he can do uh, during Senior Bowl week. But that's kind of where we're at. And, and we're going to have a Senior Bowl preview next week, um, you know, with a special guest host as well. I don't want to spoil it, but we'll get more. In, we'll have a more in-depth episode next week. Gless, what are you thinking about the Senior Bowl so far? Yeah, no, I, I couldn't echo more excitement um, than you just had right there. I think it's going to be a fantastic Senior Bowl, especially up front. I, I think that's where you see a lot of – you know the the old adage the uh, boys become you know separate the men from the boys and we're gonna see the guys that we've really hyped up and how they do against top level competition. Marvin Wilson, a great example, played for a bad team and had an okay season, but he's been really hyped up for a couple of years now. He gets to go up against the best of the best in one on one drills. I, that's what I like to see, right? Like I like to see the the guys up front. To your point. Not a big fan of the quarterbacks that are in here other than Trask and Jones. Those guys, I don't think this week helps them or hurt or, or hurts them, um, to be honest with you. I think that they're probably cemented. Like you said, Trask will be a second rounder. I think a team will move up um, out of the second round and possibly into the first to get to get Jones. Or Jones may shock some people and be taken earlier than some people think. So I like it because I think there's a lot of really, really big-time players that will be drafted on the first in the first two days in here, especially up front. So um, it's going to be fun, man. I, I can't wait to talk about it more next week in our in our senior bowl preview. As well, just wa- watch how the week pans out. I think it's going to be the most exciting thing about it. So I agree. I yep. agree. Yeah, it, it's it's a good time. It's one of the most hyped senior bowls that I can remember in a while, and and I always love watching them. I'm really excited to watch this one. Yeah. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Um, well, this wouldn't be Prospects 101 if we didn't talk any recruiting uh, or transfers. Not, not, not really any big-time commits this week, Kenny, but it looks like we had three big-time decommits. And shockingly, two – I said that sarcastically, by the way. Shockingly, <laughs> two of them are from Tennessee. Yeah, no, no really big commits. And I think we're not going to really see a lot of commits until two weeks from now when the second national signing day occurs. Uh, it sounds like there's a uh, there's a groundswell coming up for that day. So I, I would I would imagine on the horizon we're not going to have a lot of big commits until then. But yeah, a lot of lot, three really big decommits caught my eye. One was Jordan Mosley, wide receiver, uh, who was committed to Tennessee and now is looking very much like he could go to South Carolina. He's a four star recruit. He's six foot, 190 pounds. He's from Mobile, Alabama. You know, he's a he's a pretty decently sized guy. He's got good speed. He's got tons of offers on the board. But like I said, it sounds like Shane Beamer in South Carolina are really catching up and leading the pack. I would imagine we're probably going to hear about him recommitting uh, at some other point. But again, I don't think this is the last uh, of the massive amount of decommits we're going to see from Tennessee. But again, a four-star receiver back on the market. Big news for anybody looking to upgrade their wide receiver position. The next guy, uh, offensive tackle, Colby Smith. He's 6'7", 315 pounds, which, by the way, is insane for a high school player. This guy's already got a college-level ready body at 6'7", 315. He's going to be able to put on more weight because at 6'7", 315 is honestly not that much weight. He's he's a composite three-star Athlete, or uh, offensive lineman, but he's a four-star according to twenty-four-seven Sports, and there's really no, there's really no consensus at this moment or crystal ball where they're looking at. So when he committed, Auburn and North Carolina were both kind of warm, and then Appalachian State and Charlotte were also in the running. Man, that would be awesome if Will Healy could get him. By the way, friend of the program, Will Healy. Um, but that so would be. Fun. I know, right? But that would be so amazing uh, if, if Sharkin did with them. But it looks like probably North Carolina, if I had to guess, is going to be the guy who ends up there. Because Auburn, obviously, they had their coaching change. A lot of things have changed from that perspective. So North Carolina would make sense that they're probably the odds one favorite. And then the last commitment that caught my eye was Clay Millen. And, Gless, you were mentioning offline, I'll let you talk a little bit about this, about his dad, Hugh Millen, but his brother plays quarterback at Oregon. Clay, who backed up his brother in high school, then took over uh, at Mount Si. Uh, four-star, 24-7 recruit. He's a three-star, 24-7 composite recruit. He was committed to Arizona. He is now decommitted to Arizona. And, there, again, there's really no crystal ball or, or, or favorite at the moment. It sounds like Colorado could be the leading candidate. It seems like they were the closest to him when he committed. But I wouldn't also rule out Oregon or Indiana. He, obviously, his brother plays at Oregon. And Indiana's got Tom Allen and, and Nick Sheridan there. Uh, coaching the offense. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up because this is a big time. This is going to be a big time swing. This will be, this could be a big time moment for a, a program looking for a quarterback. 
that when there's not a lot available at this moment. Yeah, no, Hugh Hugh Millen played at UW, and then I, you know, I'm a big Seattle sports fan, so I listen to a lot of uh, uh, Pacific Northwest uh, sports radio. Like to listen about the Huskies, Mariners, um, things like that, and, and the the Seahawks. And Hugh is kind of like a staple up there, right? Uh, big time. Uh, high, you know, he coaches high school football up there. Um, big Huskies fan, obviously played for the Huskies. And uh, yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, no, I know that his one son goes to to Oregon, like I said, and then Clay backs out here. What a, you know, interesting spot for him to see where it lands. And don't be shocked if he goes here. Oregon State. Keep that in mind. I think that Ooh. they could be a dark horse there. Oregon State surprisingly looked very good this season. They lost a couple games I thought they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have lost. They certainly gave UW all they could handle. Um, I would be shot, man. Oregon State again. They every every couple of years they end up kind of cranking out some uh, some some pretty good teams here. There, I, so. I like I like what Jonathan Smith is doing there, and Me I liked too. I liked when they hired him because those kind of programs really benefit from having a guy who understands the culture at those like smaller programs. So Jonathan Smith, for anybody who doesn't know, was a quarterback at Oregon State, really probably at the peak of, of their, I don't know, program, I guess I would say. You know, when they yeah. went when they were winning Fiesta Bowls, Dennis Erickson and Mike Riley were coaching there at the time. Like he's he's a big deal. Like Jonathan Smith might not be a well known name, but he's a well, well known name. I mean he's basically as well known as like TJ Hushman Zada or Chad Johnson is at Oregon State. So, him being there, I think, is a really good thing. I like what he's doing, and and it wouldn't surprise me to see them take another step next year and really be competitive. So, you could be right, Gless. You could be onto something. Plus, if you're going to go play for someone, why not play for a coach who is quarterback? That's right. That's right. I agree with that. So, Kenny, two quick, uh, almost rapid fire questions before we sign off here. Uh, Looking at the composite rankings of this class, again, it's not over. There's still some big, uh, some big fish out there, but who are the most disappointing? What is the most disappointing recruiting class uh, that you've seen so far? Man, for me, and, and to me, it really stuck, stood out like a sore thumb is Purdue. You know, Purdue a couple of years ago was kind of seen as this team on the fringe of really breaking out and becoming a big time player in the Big Ten and kind of restoring the Boilermakers back to what they used to be, you know, when they were under Joe Tiller. But – and they paid their head coach handsomely. And, Gless, I'm blanking all of a sudden on the head coach. Jeff Brom. Jeff Brom. Gosh, yeah, Brian Brom's brother. I don't know why I was blanking. But they paid him handsomely. I mean, he's a top ten paid head coach in the country. And they're bringing in the 70th ranked class right now. Like and their best recruit Woof. is Yanni Carliftis, which is nice. It's a good signing. He's a four-star offensive uh, outside linebacker, but he's kind of a legacy. Like his brother's already in the program, so it's kind of a one of those softball type of recruits. But outside of that, there's just nobody on paper uh, of immediate impact. There's nobody of substance. It just doesn't feel like it's that big of a recruiting class. On top of the last two seasons. Since they paid Jeff Brom, there hasn't been a lot to show on the field either. They can't develop a quarterback. Aiden O'Connell and Jack Plummer stink. you know. And they've had two guys who are All-American at wide receiver in Moore um, and David Ball. Like, so it's not like they have – It's they just haven't been able to develop 
a quarterback, which I don't get because Jeff Brom was a quarterback. And I don't know, man. It just seems like a really, really disappointing class at a time where the program doesn't have an arrow pointing up, in my opinion. They're about to lose their best player in Rondell Moore. They're All-American. And I I just don't see a lot of optimism right now for what you're paying Jeff Brom, who is a top 10 paid coach. I think it's a very disappointing recruiting class. Yeah, uh, I, that's a really good one. I've got another pretty good one. I think Arizona State right now. I saw Arizona State at 47. Mm. I thought for Hermed, right, the whole deal with hiring Herm was coming in, being a CEO, and being able to recruit. Well, right now, they're they're going to be class 47. I mean, their their class is worse than Kansas and Georgia Tech. That yeah. is that is not good. They they've got only 14 commits. Um, decent amount of four stars though. They got four, um, which is a, a lot more than a lot of other teams that are in front of them. Um, only only ten three stars, and then that's it. They only have fourteen commits overall. So still a lot of work for them to do, uh, especially with the second signing day. Uh, also to be note, they've actually gotten some big time transfers to come in from big schools. Uh, talking uh, tight end from Oklahoma. Nice. Uh, an offensive tackle from UNC. So they've got some dudes coming in, but 47 seemed very disappointing for me, or uh, 47 for uh, Herm, who I believe had a really good recruiting class last year. It just seemed a little bit disappointing to me when I looked at these rankings. I thought Arizona State should be doing a lot better um, than being sandwiched between Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I'm with you. Yeah, it is a little disappointing, but, you know, they do have the second signing day still left. Maybe they can sneak in a four-star and a couple other three-stars and really jump up. But, yeah, compared to where their recruiting was last year and, and kind of the excitement around the program, you think they'd be a little higher than that. By the way, you talked about transfers real quick. Did you see Grant Calcaterra transfer to SMU, the tight end from Oklahoma? SMU is going to have a great recruiting class and a couple big transfers. So pretty excited for that. Sorry, I just it just made me think of when you said no, transfers. man. That that's how these G five teams are going to be able to compete with the big boys. Is they're they're going to have to they're just going to have to dominate a trans the transfer portal. That's yep. what they're going to have to do. So yep. Oh, uh, what about the biggest surprise, Kenny? For me, it's Maryland, uh, and I have another honorable mention outside of Maryland, but really, to me, Maryland was the biggest surprise. You know, they, they landed a five-star recruit in Terrence Lewis, um, but really what they've done a good job at, Gless, is they've recruited the DMV, and I don't know how many times you and I have to say this. The DMV might be the most slept-on hotbed for, for college prospects in the entire country. Oh, but, so you know, much good talent. They've got, so I much think, talent. They've got – three four-stars from the DMV, and I think over half their class is from the DMV as well. And it's no surprise that they're, with getting all that talent, they're ranked 18th. And then you couple that with the fact that Talia Tagovailoa seems like he's the real deal, and you have last year's five-star recruit at Rakeem Jarrett at wide receiver. The arrow is pointing up for Maryland, Gless. I never thought I'd say it, but they are getting talent. And and that is a testament to Mike Loxley as a recruiter, but it's also him starting to put a fence around the DMV. If he can tap in and become one of the top two or three programs to recruit in the DMV, Maryland's going to be trouble. They might not ever win the yeah. Big Ten. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a very tough ask, and they're in a very, very tough side of the Big Ten. But they're not going to be an easy out for the next couple of years as no. long as Mike Loxley's there and they keep recruiting like this. I, I, I agree with you 1,000%. 
Uh, I was actually, very, besides the first game against Northwestern, very impressed with what I saw from Maryland this year, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Talia, very impressed with. He's a guy they can build the offense around. And I tell you what, Maryland's going to have two or three surprise upsets a year. And, and they're going to be very competitive with the talent that they've got coming in. They may probably won't win that side, but they'll, they'll be competitive. And it'll be something that Maryland fans and alums can be proud about. Uh, I'm not going far from you there, Kenny. I think uh, – well, actually, before I start, what was, your, what was your honorable mention? Dude, I have to go with UVA, man. They're ranked 29th in the country. They're the fifth-ranked ACC class. But what I love about their class, Gless, is – a, it's obviously local. There's a ton of Virginia kids in here, which I always think is great. I think Virginia owning Virginia is important, especially when you're facing off against guys like Virginia Tech. But it's very heavily dominated by defensive tackles and offensive linemen. Like they're building their line in this draft class. And it's a very, I mean, that's, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, six of their top eight are offensive and defensive linemen. And then you have an athlete and a quarterback as the other two. Yeah, so I, I love yeah I'm it, looking man. at it now. Interesting. I love it, man. And their quarterback, Jay Wolfuck, I, I, I've seen a lot of tape in him. He's from Benedictine right down the corner from Euglas. Yeah. Um, I'm just really excited about this class. I think Virginia and Bronco are going to continue to build. I know they did, they weren't quite the team they were the year before. But I, I just think with the financial stuff and everything that's going on, I'm really excited about Virginia and this recruiting class. is kind of a stamp for Bronco. Gotcha. I like it. Well, I, mine are actually 19 and 20. I think Ole Miss, really good class, man. We're talking six four-stars, Lane Kiffin doing his magic. I mean, I can't remember a lot. I mean, they haven't been in the top 25 in recruiting since Hugh Freeze is there. Um, 24 <laughs> commits, so you can see they got a lot of guys to sign. They got a lot of guys – to uh, decommit on signing day and commit to Ole Miss. So very impressed with Lane Kiffin has done there. Certainly surprised me. The other surprise is going to be my honorable mention. Shout out to Scott Pastel here, but uh, the Nebraska Cornhusters, as miserable as they have been the last five to ten years, they are coming in at number 20, again, getting a bunch of good four stars, a lot of three stars, uh, again, in a solid 20 commit. So, uh, you know, Regardless of the win-loss record, Nebraska still bringing in guys. But, again, the challenge for Nebraska is to be able to get that talent and convert that talent to wins, yep. Um, yep. which has always always been their challenge. So, Well, it's, it's definitely big, especially after losing uh, – oh, yeah, how do we not talk about this? Wondell Robinson, a, a, after losing him uh, in the transfer portal to Kentucky, who's arguably Nebraska's probably best player. So, yep. yeah, getting uh, getting reinforcements and having a good recruiting class is definitely a must. I get you. Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off on here, but make sure you guys tune in next week. We have our Senior Bowl preview. Like Kenny and I were saying, a lot of big-time matchups – or uh, I'm sorry, a lot of big-time players. A lot of guys you'll see drafted on day one and day two will be participating, and we'll be able to break it down for you. Make sure you add Prospects 101 to your off-season football routine by following us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram – at Prospects101Pod, and then make sure you subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. Also, uh, leave us that five-star review as well. Appreciate you spreading the word. Uh, For Kenny, I'm Gless. We'll be back to talk Senior Bowl next week.